That was lovely, keep going. Get away from her, my bitch. <laughs> I'm Batman. Did it say get away from her, my bitch? Yeah. Okay. I think I was being, it's Jay-Z's version. Yeah. <laughs> Didn't Solange, Solange bash Solange. him in? Solange. 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 Beyonce's sister. It's Beyonce's sister, yeah. isn't it? Solange. She, she biffed Jay-Z <laughs> in the nose over Becky with the good hair. I, I know Solange. all the gossip. I know all this. <laughs> Welcome to episode 131 of the Nerdfest podcast. This week's nerds are... John Farben, Andy Chandler, Peter Johnson, Ian McLaughlin. On today's show, we are reviewing a bunch of new things, including Hang John... On. Yep. Are you here as well? You're Hazel yeah. Chandler. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm Hazel Chandler. No, you're not. <laughs> on today's show, we are reviewing a bunch of new things, including... Are you ready, John? Season 3 of Ted Lasso. Yay! Holy Spider, Women Talking, Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey, The Consultant and Bon Bon. Bon Bon. <laughs> bon Bon. Bon Bon. So let's start the show. A.K.A. Hazel with the good hair. I did get my hair done today and none of you fuckers noticed. I just did. <laughs> no chance. You've had your hair done, it's really nice. <laughs> Stay away from Jersey. <laughs> I, like, I like the way it sort of sits on your head. It's, it's very nice. <laughs> Covers the bald bits. I was trying something different. <laughs> uh, so which of us is reviewing Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey? Who do we think it could be? Mm, no idea. <laughs> it's, it's never a good thing to have blood in your poo. <laughs> it was your birthday this week, John. Did you it have a was. nice time? I did. I went to see Fight Like Apes in London, who are one of my favourite bands of all time, who got together again after an eight-year gap just for my birthday, wow. which is very, very oh, kind nice of them. them. Very kind, mm-hmm. isn't it? And they were amazingly good. You listened to them a bit, I think, didn't you? Ian? I did. I was yeah. very impressed. Um, was it May Kay is her name? Kay the, May? The, May the Kay? singer, May Kay. Yeah. yeah, she's got this wonderful, wonderful... Irish kind of yodely, you know, that classic D- Dolores from Cranberries oh, yeah. kind of has that beautiful, well, nice. yeah. beautiful, mm-hmm. beautiful voice, really, and really soulful as well. So I'm going to listen to a lot more of Fight Like Apes. What was the first band called? Uh, Problem Patterns with a support band. I thought it was Tickle Like Chimps. Tickle Like Chimps, no, it was a. Thunderlust Chinchilla. Endless. Grope yes, gorilla. Uh, oh, this mm. game. So many reasons you're not allowed in the zoo, isn't there, Ian? Yeah. That's four of them. Am <laughs> I out last time? No. <laughs> he had to convince the zookeepers he was one of the exhibits. <laughs> they eventually found me hiding in the elephant's enclosure. <laughs> I thought it was funny. <laughs> <laughs> and then you played arcade games on I the did. E- evening of your I did. Birthday. I went to see the suggestibles. They were average. Oh. <laughs> they were very good. Then I played arcade games till two in the morning in NQ64. So I, I played guitar here in public and I'm 44 years old. Do I understand you cleared the place and there was no one left? Pretty much, yeah. I, I'm sure the two things were not entirely unrelated. I can still play guitar hero. I cannot still play Dance Dance Mega Mix because you have to jump. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so now it's time for some reviews and recommendations. I put the word review in there because some of these are not recommendations. <laughs> Um, these are things that we have been enjoying or watching recently. Um, Andy, why don't we start with you? I can't think of a reason. Let's let's do it. <laughs> um, I'm going to recommend Holy Spider, which is an Iranian crime thriller based on the true story of a serial murderer known as the Spider Killer, who in 2000 and 2001 targeted sex workers on the streets of the holy city of Mashhad, believing he was carrying out a fatwa against sinners. The film follows journalist Rahimi as she seeks to uncover the identity of the killer, but is hampered by indifference and hostility from authorities. Uh, often, this type of story will be presented as a mystery that gradually unfolds as the journalist uncovers more and more clues, but in this case, you know exactly who the killer is from the beginning. He is, in fact, a key character, and we spend time learning about his motivations, his beliefs, and how he fits into a wider misogynistic system, because the film is ultimately 
a powerful critique of Iran's deeply patriarchal society and the hypocrisy of religious morality. Fun, eh? Um, <laughs> so where's the spiders? Um, they are... The metaphorical spiders. No, uh, the, um, his, his modus operandi is he wraps his murder victims in a black shawl, not dissimilar to how a spider would wrap a fly in silk, and then he goes and dumps them out in the desert, which is dissimilar to how spiders operate. <laughs> <laughs> The first half of the story creates an oppressive atmosphere of danger and fear as Rahimi goes deeper and deeper into the dark underbelly of the city in order to find the killer. But it takes a surprising turn after he is captured and put on trial. Many people see him as a hero and there is a movement to exonerate him and you worry that there will be any justice at all. Holy Spider is built around a tremendous performance by Zah Amir Ebrahimi as the journalist Rahimi, which earned her a Best Actress Award at the 2022 Cannes Film Festival. This success brought condemnation from Iran's Ministry of Culture and Islamic Guidance, because those two things go together very well, who described it as an insulting and politically motivated move. High praise indeed. There are some striking and very effective images in the film. In the opening scene, we watch a young woman getting dressed and doing her makeup as she prepares to head out to the streets to work. And we see bruises on her back that just demonstrate the kind of danger and hostility that she's about to step into. There's also some brutal scenes of the murders, which may be a little much for some viewers. But this is less in any particularly gruesome or extreme imagery and more from a stark, unflinching realism. The director and co-writer, Ali Abassi, who's probably best known on these shores for 2018's Border, uses these scenes to elicit a visceral sense of outrage, which is the only sensible reaction to the appalling crimes. Uh, you'll find yourself desperately wanting to see justice done, but doubting whether it's even possible in this environment. So watch Holy Spider if you're interested in thrillers, crime procedurals, or drama with a message. It's tense and gripping and left an impression on me. You can catch it on Mubi in the UK, big surprise. It's also coming to Netflix in the United States in the next week or two, if we still have any listeners in the United States left who haven't been alienated by John's recommendations. <gasps> How's it shot? I mean, you know, give me a sense of the style. There's not a lot of handheld so you don't get images bouncing around right, all over okay. the place so yeah. uh the, the shooting style i found quite smooth and and um to my tastes i have no other words on this because i don't know enough about <laughs> cinema <laughs> you're on the right podcast then so what made you choose this one it was on um, no it, it was in the cinemas um in ooh, uh, january february and I, I didn't catch it there and uh, then came to movie and um i tend to uh, build most of my important life decisions around what's on movie. It competed for the big prize, the name of which I've forgotten at Cannes. Palm d'Or. Palm d'Or, yes. Palm d'Or. Uh, that was a test, well done, <laughs> thank you. Um, yeah, it, it has uh, won lots of awards and it had good reviews and it's just kind of the sort of thing I like to go for. Yeah, it's a grim foreign film. It's got Andy all over, really. It does. <laughs> Well, I was going to say it's not that grim. It it kind of is, but it's it's engaging, and you won't feel sad. You will you'll feel lots of different things as you watch it. But it ha has an important message, and as much as we want to criticise Iran for its um, fucked up male dominant society, uh, which we do, which we do, and rightly so. We Apologies to our e Iran listeners. Listener, listener. Sorry, oh, no, he's gone there. <laughs> my, my apologies to the Ayatollah. Where was it shot? Was it? Sh was it shot in Iran? Oh. I believe it was, um, but I didn't do enough research, so I'm not really prepared to answer questions. I think it was shot in location. The film industry is pretty strong, but I imagine it takes a certain amount of bravery to shoot. Yeah, um, lots and lots of Iranian filmmakers end up either in prison or in exile. Ali Abassi, I don't think, is safe in Iran anymore. Um, it's, uh, it, it was just a collaborative effort as all films are, but between, um, Iranian filmmakers and also I think Danish. Um, so he may be hiding out in Scandinavia somewhere, um, which would track because he made Border, which was set in Sweden. Am I right, John? Yeah. Border is an amazing film. Absolutely love that. I assume it's the same one. I'm intrigued to see it just based on having really, really liked Border. Hmm. Very interesting because uh, it reminds me of uh, an amazing play which I saw a few years back called Red Rabbit, White Rabbit, um, which is written by, I have to look up on the internet here, Nazim Sulemanapur, who was under house arrest 
And basically what happens in the play is it's a conversation between the writer and the audience and it's played by an actor who doesn't see the script beforehand. They sit on stage, they open the thing and they have to read out all the instructions and it's just one of the most... So it's a different actor each time? Every time it's a different actor. They've never seen the script. They just open the, sit on stage, open the page and start reading to the audience and it's a kind of conversation between the audience and this writer, which is like six years before about being in isolation. It's absolutely wonderful. So I recommend that as well. Mm. So how many clues to the director's identity <laughs> and location have you accidentally given in your review out of 10? Um, nine out of 10. Um, I held one back. Excellent. <laughs> Chance for him to escape yet. Want to watch that. Who else has Moby, by the way? I don't have Moby. I don't have Moby. I've got Moobies. <laughs> <laughs> I've got his first album, which is all right. It's... <laughs> <laughs> I'm going come back sometime and I'm going be home by. That's supposed to be Moby? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Can you name a Moby song? Nope. Okay. <laughs> Just checking. Should we have some bonbons? Yeah, well, we seem to be on the theme so far, this podcast, of movies not from the traditional UK and US. We used to call them foreign movies, which I, I find foreign now because pretty much the best contact comes from non-English speaking movies these days. But I want to take you back, if you will, to 2004. I know it's a long time ago. That's uh, 19 years ago. <laughs> no, 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 19 years ago. Uh, the reason I remember this movie and rewatched it again, uh, for a couple of reasons. I was I came round last week to see Hazel and Andy's beautiful new home, which we are currently sitting in, the amazing um, conservatory stroke orangery, although there are no oranges in it. They died. Yeah, did they die? Yeah. <laughs> did, did you not feed them? Um, it's just not the season. Is it not? Okay. No. Oranges are not the only fruit, you know. <laughs> Yes, we were talking, and, and we just happened upon saying that we quite enjoyed non-English language movies. And I got home, and I thought about it, and I'm like, oh, God, yes, this is one of my favourite movies of all time, which I kind of forgotten about putting, you know, put in a cupboard. So I got it out again and rewatched it, and I remembered why it's probably one of my favourite movies of all time. And the second reason for recommending this is it's the only movie with a dog in that my dog does not go mad at when he watches. Mm. He actually sits and watches the movie, and he didn't bark at all. Because uh, he goes mad at dogs and horses on anything. Yeah, I was playing The Last of Us 2 whilst dog sitting Ian's dog last week. And, um, it's impossible, isn't it? It's impossible because the dog just goes insane the yeah. second time <laughs> dog appears on screen. Dogs or horses. <laughs> I played um, Assassin's Creed Valhalla, which is about 200 hours normally. With took, a horse. <laughs> took me 400 hours. I had to walk everywhere. I couldn't use a horse. <laughs> anyway, so the movie is called, it's an Argentinian movie called Bonbon. Stroke El Perro from 2004. It's a road movie, essentially. It's directed by Carlos Sorin and stars uh, Juan Villegas, who's a, a quite a well-known Argentinian actor. And the story revolves around an out-of-work mechanic who now is uh, fashioning knives and trying to sell them on the roadside to try and make uh, eke out a living. He's a kind-hearted soul, but he, he, he just he can't really survive, and he's got to um, um, try to pay for his daughter to get through college, but he can't afford to do that. One day, he's driving down the road after unsuccessfully selling knives, and he finds a mother and their daughter have broken down on the side of the road, so he, at the kind of his heart, he gets out and fixes their car for them and refuses to take any money. So they then insist that they must give him something, so they give him a dog. And uh, uh, it's, uh, it turns out to be a, a thoroughbred dog. And actually, this is the real brand, the brand of dog, the breed of dog. It's called Doggo Argentino. <laughs> and that is, look it up on your phone. It's a real breed. It's kind of like a big bull mastiff thing. And then Coco, the main character, starts to realize, takes the dog and realizes that actually there might be some money in this and takes him to a, a local dog show where it wins third prize, but uh, then gets the attention of a, a local dog trainer who looks at the dog and goes, we could make a fortune, we could retire if we put this dog out to stud because it's a really rare breed and your dog is one of the most perfect versions of this dog. So then they basically get in the car and, and travel around um, trying to put the dog out to stud. But unfortunately, the dog can't do the deed it can't quite get there uh and so dog. The, yeah stage fright yes it can't quite get there so it's a, the, yeah it's a it's a re, it's one of the most gentle little comedies little road movies of just two guys and a dog in the front seat traveling through argentina uh meeting different people trying to get this dog to mate 
I know it sounds silly. It is a very silly film, but it's beautifully done and beautifully acted. And it's a perfect um, sort of Sunday afternoon on the sofa movie that you come away from just feeling very happy that maybe the world isn't quite as awful as (laughs) the spider film. (laughs) So I highly recommend that. Uh, and in fact, um, when he first gets the dog, he decides to call it Le Chien. He thinks that sounds really, really clever in French, but that just means the dog in French. <laughs> but he eventually learns it's called Bon Bon. Where to find it? I don't know. Google the shit out of it and you'll find it. It's a, it's a brilliant movie. Uh, I think that's all I have to say. Bon Bon, El Perro, 2004. Watch it. That sounds wonderful. Bon. Definitely want to watch that. So it's quite silly. Is the tone of it um, played... Quite straight. It's quite like, but not best in show, in that the performances are very improvised. It feels more like a documentary, really, than a movie. It's very, very natural. And uh, Juan Villegas is also a very well-known clown in the country, um, and so it gets a bit slapsticky in places, but not too much. It's beautiful. And uh, the only thing is, the bits with the dog when they're trying to get it made are done fairly... <clears throat> realistically <laughs> I was going to so ask it, this do yeah, we get you know so so I still think it's a kids movie I think it's a family movie but you may get those awkward questions uh, about what's that dog doing mummy uh, which I think adds to the fun of watching the film why has he got mm. his lipstick out yeah, that's that's that's, yeah. <laughs> why has he not put it on his lips <laughs> I, w- I was sat in the pub last night and my dog just decided to start violently humping my arm in the middle of the pub while I was sat trying to have a pint of beer no one's made a film about that have they <laughs> What do you think the reason is that Jackie Doodle um, didn't go berserk at this one? I don't know. I think it's because the dog in it is very still. The dog doesn't do anything other than dribble, really, apart from later on. Uh, (laughs) So I think it's quite an unthreatening dog. It doesn't bark, doesn't hump. It sort of just sits there. there. Yeah. So I think that's part of the reason. And also my dog speaks Argentinian. Oh, of course. Yeah. Yeah. Spanish. Argentinian. Spanish. Spanish. Yeah, Argentinian Spanish. <laughs> I didn't realise Patagonia was two countries. It's a region of South America that spreads across um, Argentina, Argentina and Chile. Chile. Yeah. I didn't know that. So this is set in Patagonia, is it? And it's a road movie. There must be some just simply glorious landscapes. It doesn't spend a lot of time looking at the landscapes. It's mainly motorways. <laughs> <laughs> they don't bother. You know, it's, not a, it's not a Vista movie. Uh, most of the time, the camera's just on the dog in the car, dribbling. Uh, how many mummy, what's that dog doing out of ten? I would give it nine and a half lipsticks. <laughs> Delightful. <laughs> I've, I've found the DVD for sale on Amazon. I'll buy this on payday. It's really worth it. It's just a lovely movie. It's just so gentle and beautifully done. The dog okay? What? Is the dog okay? Well, probably not. It's, like, it's 20 years ago. It's probably dead now, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Bom, bom, gong, gong. But the dog, the, yes, it's, it has a very happy ending, shall I say. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, where should we go next? Let's go consulting. That sounds fun. Yeah, there are a few shows I could pick from this time, and I've really enjoyed The Gold on BBC iPlayer about the aftermath of the Brinksmat bullion robbery. That's That's really good. That's brilliant. That's excellent. So I'd recommend that. And also a series called Hello Tomorrow on Apple TV, where Billy Crudup plays a salesman in an alternative 60s selling timeshares on the moon from a big Chevy adapted as as a hover car. I heard him do an interview about that. It sounded fascinating. Is it good? Yeah, it's got its own visual style. And it's, it's really about his son that he abandoned and his parental relationship with that, as well as, I think, going around scamming people. But I'm not really sure yet because I'm only a few in. Maybe I'll review one of those in the coming weeks. But this time around, I've chosen to recommend The Consultant on Amazon Prime. The title role is played by Christoph Waltz, who leapt from a career in German language movies to stardom via a memorable role in Tarantino's Inglorious Bastards, before popping up again as Blofeld in the recent Bond movies. It was an overnight success, a lifetime in the making, as they say, and he has two Oscar nominations to show for it. He was perfect casting for this, as he brings that same creepy sense of a cloak of outer civility, hiding a threat of unknown violence beneath. You say outer civility? Yeah. Not a real word. He appears to be civil. He appears to be polite. Two words, John. Two words. (laughs) Outer (laughs) civility. Okay, I was was assuming it was, yeah, I thought you were making words up. (laughs) Okay. Valtz plays Regis Patov, 
who shows up the day after the founder of mobile game company Compware is shockingly Compware, killed. Compware, that's not a real word. Can I just say that <laughs> Ian is losing his shit at the word pat off. Yeah. <laughs> so I have to get the dog going at the end. <laughs> yes, that's a stupid name. Patoff claims to be a consultant <laughs> and bears a signed contract to say he's to take over in the event of the founder's death. Becomes apparent he doesn't even really know what the company does, has a morbid fear of stairs, and there's something very, very, very wrong about him. Is this Elon Musk? <laughs> could be. Two of the staff, played by Brittany O'Grady and Nat Wolf, are determined to find out what's going on. Checking the CCTV, they discover he first appeared at the company without an appointment two weeks earlier. And by the end of a 30-minute meeting with the boss, he had a signed contract in his hands and was receiving a blowjob from him. Probably not for sexual reasons, but as a power move. This show constantly wrong-foots you. We've seen three episodes so far and don't know much more that something very fucked up is going on with his character. He puts his staff into weirder and weirder situations. We don't yet know what his aims are or whether he's human or some demonic power. Waltz is brilliantly perverse and darkly funny in the show, and I can't wait to find out what the hell is going on. It's available to binge on Amazon Prime. Mm. Been wondering what happened to Christoph Waltz, because, yeah, he did this, have this burst onto the scene, and yeah. everyone's like, this guy's incredible, where's he been? And they haven't seen him in much lately. I mean, in Glorious Bastards, there are sort of 20-minute scenes of just mm. him holding people yeah. hostage with his voice, in effect. No one can ask for a glass of milk like he can. Yeah. Love a glass of milk, please. So what sort of tone is this? Is it a comedy, drama? Uh, it's a drama, just a very dark and black comedy drama. Mm -hmm. It's not, you know, a straightforward serious comedy. There are no jokes in it that I can detect. Sounds a bit severancy, maybe, in turn, or... Uh, possibly. Uh, Andy, I think you've seen this episode as well, the first one? I watched the first episode, yeah, and it's not that far off severance in, in tone, um, in as much as it's a bit uncanny and off-kilter. Um, it, it, it has a comedic edge. It doesn't really have gags, but um, yeah, it's, it's just got a little something's a bit fucked up here thing <laughs> going on um I, I quite like the first episode and we'll probably watch more and uh, i echo what peter said about christoph waltz he's the absolute perfect person to play this character he's already a bit weird on the outside but there's there's clearly something ferociously threatening about him on the inside and uh, my working theory at the moment is that he's the devil i was wondering that yeah i don't know for sure yet it could be that or he could just be Elon Musk. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sounds intriguing. And Judith's watching it with you. Is she enjoying it? She's enjoying it, yeah. She thinks it's really good. And this is all released at one size so at a week. It is, yes. It's eight 30 minute episodes and they're all available on Amazon Prime. I like a short thing. <laughs> he is brilliant, That's though. Good. <laughs> <laughs> he is brilliant, though, Christopher Waltz, isn't he? I think, you know, Inglorious Bastards, without that opening scene and his performance in the opening scene the mm. whole film just doesn't stack up mm -hmm. but because it's so powerful the opening scene you go along on this crazy ride with him and it's hard to say why other than his performance though mm. isn't it i mean it is just almost fairly normal dialogue yeah but just you can tell that there's this amazing performance yeah. it's just and it's filmed threat. so simply that scene as well isn't it you know but yeah something that he does in there yeah he does polite very threateningly mm -hmm. like, mm -hmm. i mean i was less struck by his blowfeld yeah. You've heard his blowjob to his blow film. <laughs> I well, did. Yeah, that's that was a film where he couldn't save it, though, probably. Mm, probably, yeah. If Christoph Waltz can't do menacing right, then they've got a fundamental problem with the script. Well, they just try to tie together all of the old James Bond films into, ah, oh, it was this guy all along, and it felt contrived and shit, and I hate it. <laughs> <laughs> but I like Christoph Waltz. So who's going to be the new Bond, then? Me. No one saw that coming. No, much like Bon Bon. You'd be a brilliant cue. And um, I'm going for the Bond, I Are think, you? yeah. I think I'm, I'm fairly confident I will get it. What do you think you bring to the role that it was having? Decrepitude. <laughs> Is that a word? Or are you destroying pizza? <laughs> how, many, how many waltzes? How many, um, how many, how many, no. Beanies waltzes. Uh, how, many, how many people hiding on the floorboards? No. Nope. Doesn't no. Work. no. <laughs> um, Too soon. How many wheelchair-bound employees fired for being five seconds late out yes. of ten? That was a particular bastard move. Um, I think eight and a half. Mm. So how many have you seen? Three or four. Okay. By the way, oh, 
Hazel and Andy have uh, brought along to the uh, recording today what they call, they're called Brookie Bites. They're very nice. It's kind of like a fudge, but not. It's kind of like a flapjack. It's, it's a brownie and a flapjack. Yeah, brownie and out. cookie, hence Brookie. Oh, that makes more sense. Ah, I was thinking of flapjack and what would you call it? Brownie. A brownie. So it'd be a, a, a brown jack, a jack be, brown. Be, no, it doesn't work. Valve flaps. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> You should be a marketing job. Please don't. I'm choking on a sweet. <laughs> let's, let's, let's piss John off now, shall we? Let's piss mm. John off. I think we should end with the blood and honey. I'll just not do it at all. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, I want to recommend two things I know John in particular enjoys, and that's women talking and Ted Lasso. Um, I couldn't choose between the two, and since it's your birthday this week, John, I thought I'd give you this as an extra gift. Thank you very much. So we'll start with Women Talking. This is directed and written by Sarah Polly. She won the uh, Best Adapted Screenplay Oscar for this film. It is based on a novel that came out in 2018 and, for want of a better word, is inspired by true events that took place in a remote colony in Bolivia where men were carrying out gas-facilitated rapes on the women. The film takes place somewhere in America. We're not sure where and neither, as it happens, are the women because they are denied education. None of them can read or write and they've never seen a map, so they have no idea where they are. In the opening scene, we see one of the women, played by Rooney Mara, wake up and discover bruises around her hips and her upper thighs. And then we cut to a scene where it's been discovered what has been happening to every single woman. One man has been caught in the act, and when he is imprisoned, he confesses as to how widespread these crimes are and how they're done. So the men were using livestock tranquilizers to put the women out, rape them, and then in the morning when they discover their injuries, the men would tell them that it was the work of the devil, or that they're imagining things. So now that the discovery has been made, the men travel to the jail to oversee the proceedings and the bail. So during that time, the women come together to talk about uh, what to do. Do they do nothing? Do they stay and fight? Or do they leave? And this is basically the premise for the majority of the film. It's women who have been mentally and physically abused for decades, coming together, listening to one another's experiences and figuring out what to do as a unit because they're all in this together and they're all going to find their voices and make a decision altogether. So for a film that takes place mostly in one room, it's really, really powerfully made. Um, and the subject matter is very, very bleak, of course. Um, there are quite a few gut punches in there, but oddly, it's quite an uplifting film. It's women finding and using their voice to say, look, this cannot happen anymore. And even though there are incredible odds against us, we're going to talk about how we can solve these problems. I find it really moving, uh, really well acted. It's really tense, uh, and I would recommend it to, to anybody. Jesse Buckley is probably the standout actor here, but there are also some wonderful performances from Claire Foy, Rooney Mara, and Francis McDormand, and a wonderful uh, ensemble cast of supporting actors Quite as a well. starry cast, isn't that? Yeah. It is quite a starry cast. Yeah, some uh, newcomers as well who are really, really good. So yeah, I know it's quite a, a tough subject matter, it's quite bleak, but um, I came out of the cinema feeling quite positive and in awe of the story. Feels like it might be fairly stagey if it's all in one group, people talking, does it, yeah. is it filmed cinematically, is it well well shot? Felt maybe a little bit stagey. It was a book originally, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I mean, there's no special effects in it. <laughs> but um, yeah, I think it was shot. 30 minute CGI battle yeah. at the end. <laughs> I quite like that kind of staged mm. movie. Yeah. Um, ever since I saw Dogville, which I think is a good movie, yeah. and I quite like the idea that you can be quite theatrical yeah. in, in a movie setting. I, that, that, mm-hmm. that works for yeah. me. I love films that are set in one room. I always have mm. 12, 12 Angry Men. Yeah, 30 probably... Angry Chimps. Yeah, that one too, yeah. This is, this, is, this is Oscar winner as well, isn't it? It won Best Adapted Screenplay. And um, Francis McDormand um, was nominated, wasn't it? No. Best uh, Picture? Of course. Best Picture, that's it, yeah. It seems to have passed me by almost completely. I don't know, did it get not get a particularly You're big still really? ignoring women talking. <laughs> <sighs> I wish I could have learned to ignore Peter. <laughs> 
Um, yeah, I don't, did it get a big release or was it a fairly low-key? It, it did get released in cinemas. Um, it may well still be there now because of Oscar season, but I think we struggled to find times that would work for us. Mm-hmm. To, I know Mark Mode, he went to see it five times and he said he enjoyed it more and more every single time. So it's getting word of mouth reviews uh, and it should be coming out on a digital download fairly soon, I think. Definitely worth a watch. And uh, I agree that it's quite uplifting because it's about not just talking, but listening. It's it's a a, a democratic working through different perspectives and collectively coming to uh, a decision is the kind of behavior that we wish would happen in politics these days. It's really powerful. You mentioned Jessie Buckley as possibly the standout performer, and she's almost the antagonist. Yeah. But she's kind of more cynical and dismissive almost of other people, angry. Yeah. Um, and then you find out why, and there's a, a huge amount of understanding and support in this film, which is lovely. I wish people would do that in politics to try and understand each other's point of uh, difference, rather than you think of the opposite to me, so you must automatically be evil. Sometimes it's the case. <laughs> How many... Keep it tasteful, John. How many Oscar nominations out of ten? I reckon it should have got nine. Should have got nine. It needed more men talking in it, I think, to even things out. <laughs> <laughs> Can you say on this uh, podcast? <laughs> oh, on a lighter note, uh, the final season of Ted Lasso woo-hoo. Woo-hoo, has started on no, Apple no, TV+. Plus for the final Oh, f- <laughs> Although apparently, apparently they're going back on that a little bit. And there were some interviews today saying door not closed for season four. I've heard the opposite. Uh, Coach Beard was saying that um, they really, really want to go out when everybody still likes it. <laughs> I mean, maybe should have stopped three seasons ago. Oh, flip's sake! Right, I'm going to get through this review without any more interruptions. Probably. Um, so I am really enjoying season three. We watched the second episode last night and I was, uh, Andy can cr- uh, uh, what's corroborate. That? corroborate. I was going to go corroborate, which is not a word. Uh, this. I was bursting out at laughter at many, many moments. Um, okay. So for anyone who doesn't know Ted Lasso or has been put off by John's ill-informed and utterly misjudged <laughs> rants, allow me to set the record straight. So Ted is American. He coached American football until he is hired by the fictitious ASU Richmond in London to manage the team, despite not really knowing the rules of football or soccer, as he would call it. It is a revenge plan by Rebecca, the team's owner, on her ex-husband. But wouldn't you know it, it turns out to be one of the best things that has happened to the club and everyone is a better person for having Ted in their lives. (laughs) Season one was truly a feel-good show. It arrived at the start of the pandemic and it took off in part because it made everyone... Most people feel a sense of joy that they desperately needed. Uh, Season two still had some of that, but it explored other areas and focused particularly on Ted's mental health and the difficulties that he was having being away from his son. We also saw Nate, the assistant coach, become obsessed with how he was being depicted on Twitter and the effect that that had on his mental health. And it also brought up some childhood trauma that he experienced. So this season... It is quite early on, if I knew, watched two episodes, so I'm not sure exactly what it's going to be yet, but we seem to be having a mix of season one and two so far. So there's lots of joyful moments, such as the wonderful Danny Rojas. Is it Rojas? Yeah, Rojas. Danny Rojas. <laughs> Danny. Danny. <laughs> Being over the moon that he's scored a goal with his face. But there is that darker tone too, because we see Nate, who is now in charge at West Ham, He spits on himself like he did in the last season, which is a physical representation of his self-hatred before he takes that hatred out on Ted in a press conference. Arguably the standout of the series so far, he's here, he's there, he's every fucking where, Roy Kent, played by Brett Goldstein. Um, He is back and do you remember that moment when he hugged his arch nemesis, Jamie Tart, last season? Yeah, it was my favourite moment. After That was just because that was the moment I finally put my foot through the TV. After he got a a bunch of abuse from his dad was one of those heart melting moments. It's just one of the most wonderful things. So I'm looking forward to seeing more of those types of moments uh, this season, which looks likely given his current romantic status. 
There's a few new characters this season. There's Katie Wicks as Keeley's new chief financial officer, who's great. I'm intrigued to see where that one goes. There is Maximilian Osinki as uh, Zava, who is an egotistical, attention-seeking... See, John, you're going to like this character. He's an <laughs> egotistical, attention-seeking. He wears sunglasses indoors, that kind of person. Um, he might be transferring to the club. And what from what Andy tells me, he's based very heavily on the real-life uh, Zlatan Ibrahimovic. Something like that. Yeah. Uh, who, by all accounts, is a uh, mighty twat. And it looks like a larger role for Trent Krim uh, from The Independent. So, really enjoyed the first two episodes. I thought the second one was slightly better than the second one. Do I do that line again? You just said you thought the second one was slightly better than the second one. Did I? Yeah. 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 <laughs> really enjoyed the first two episodes. <laughs> I mean, the best. You can't, as even, good as you can't even tell them apart, can you? It's <laughs> not genetic. So I thought the second one was slightly better than the first. Uh, but yeah, overall, loving it. And uh, John, I assume that has turned you around completely. Oh, yes, I can't wait. <laughs> I must admit, I watched half of the first episode of the first series and then I was compelled to wash the dishes. <laughs> <laughs> Is that a euphemism? <laughs> no, I actually went, I'm going to wash the dishes. It's just there's something Disney about it, which I don't like. I beg to differ, Claudia Schiffer. <laughs> <laughs> I do think it has those heartwarming moments, but it does have depth. It does get into other areas as well. And so the heartwarming moments feel genuine and they feel like they deserve to, to, to be like that. Maybe just give it a chance more than half an episode. You got any, um, got any dishes in your washing? <laughs> <laughs> I'll back in a minute. <laughs> I agree with you, the second episode... And I warmed to that much more than the first one. Yeah. And the first one felt like I kind of didn't buy into the sort of his homespun stuff, didn't believe his character again, because I'd not seen it in a while, perhaps. And it was only by the second episode that it then started paying off on things a, yeah. bit, a bit more. And that's when it sort of took off a bit more. And you were like, oh, yeah, OK, this is why people liked it again. Yeah. Yeah. Might have to give it another go then. I'll watch the second half of the first episode. <laughs> I'll do the dishes first. Yeah. Then... <laughs> I mean, I've got some dishes that need doing, so I'll just I'll leave them there, and you'll okay. be you'll be around immediately. Okay. So, John. Yeah. What is your primary objection to Ted Lasso? When he baked those fucking biscuits, what the fuck was all that about? Oh, I made some biscuits. Everybody wants my biscuits. Yeah, you're a football manager. You're not bloody Paul Hoy. You will piss off you. It might be that Leeds had an American football manager, and he was terrible. <laughs> and there we our go. Season. It is the truth. <laughs> Knew it. And it might be a bit too close to home. <laughs> I, th I think John's telling you he doesn't want any of those things yeah. in front of him on the table, Hazel. Yeah, if you don't like biscuits. I mean, I like biscuits, but I don't like a, a story about a nice man making biscuits. You don't like the principle of biscuits. Me giving you biscuits at the start of this record is some kind of evil... No, I think it's very nice of you to do that, but I don't think you would make an entertaining TV show. <laughs> I mean, to be fair to Ted Lasso, um, the show isn't entirely about him making biscuits. There's some football there's, management there's going on for that. <laughs> I may have just seen two scenes of me be extemporising. So did you actually stop watching or did you sit there and watch it next to Louise through gritted teeth all the way through? I watched it in the background whilst Louise watched it as I... Loved her slightly less with each moment that she enjoyed it. <laughs> I think it's just, it, I also have a problem with films about cultural appropriation. They can try to find line and I just find it, even though I like quite like Ted Lasso's character, it's the kind of, the image of England, which mm. I don't, I don't, I, I don't kind of buy into. It doesn't feel quite right. It kind of feels like a, a Disney, almost Mary Poppins yeah. kind of interpretation of what England is. There are a couple of little out-of-place things that shows that people making this show are American. Like how all the managers keep on getting called Coach, Coach Lasso. No one talks like that here. <laughs> yeah, um, but they're American. Yeah. No, but uh, the, the English people talk like that. The footballers well. call him Coach. Yeah. And they're foreign anyway, most of them. <laughs> Doesn't Brett Goldstein write quite a lot? Yeah, yeah, he's one of the main Who writers. Is English. Mm -hmm. He's another one that's just gone... Mega stardom, hasn't he? He's doing that. He because of the, how good he is in Ted Lasso. He would cover that shrinking. Yeah, I want to see, I see that. Oh. 
On balance, I like the show. I really like the positivity about it because it's the kind of environment where you would normally expect it to be competitive and aggressive mm. and, and laddish and it's actually really yeah. supportive. I like the characters. I don't like the stories. One thing that doesn't work for me is I don't find the show remotely funny. Um, the mm. jokes, 95% of the time, don't land for me. They always feel really contrived. Uh, they feel like they're... They've kind of been tacked on. They're, they're not a, a natural organic consequence of the characters in the situation. It's uh, they suddenly step out of the story that they're telling, do a little folksy um, quip, and then go back to telling the story. And it's almost a family guy cutaway gag feel to it. So the, the humour doesn't work for me, but I do still like the characters and, and such. Also, I don't think we should put you off watching this programme because notoriously the guys in this room are bitter, <laughs> jealous, whereas... Only Hazel has the true depth and insight to spot something genuinely good, so I recommend you watch it, because he's probably right. <laughs> this is a fair point. I do like it, but I do struggle with the fact that it doesn't have subtitles, and it's in a language that I speak, <laughs> and there's no genocide. And... Yeah, if it was in, bla oh, if it, if it yeah. Was in black and white. Yeah. There's no dog. <laughs> oh, the, um, there was a dog in the first was season. Oh, I remember. I can't it watch it then. It. I can't watch that, because my dog will go mad. Your dog is probably a very good judge of... He's the TV critic for The Guardian. <laughs> <laughs> I, I find the show very funny. I was, as I say, laughing out loud many, many times last night. The juxtaposition between the comedy and then the, the, they're reacting to something very painful. Um, then mm. you have that contrast. Um, it's, a, it's the guy from Scrubs, isn't it? Is the co-creator. Bill Lawrence is the Bill showrunner. Bill Lawrence, yeah, who did Scrubs. Scrubs. Yeah. I mean, I, I wasn't a massive fan of that either, but... It seems that's similar to what they did, where you would have comedy, but then you would have kind of serious, quite heartfelt moments in amongst that. I mean, so hopefully there's an episode where he dies in a hospital at some point in the coming future. Do you enjoy being you? No. <laughs> <laughs> you do realise that Louise is going to be listening to this as she's going around Sainsbury's and as, as she's about to put some biscuits into the, the trolley for you and the, she hears the line about you loving her less when she watched it, she's going to be like, nope. Those biscuits are going back on the shelf. <laughs> no biscuits for John. Oh, oh she home baked me some flap, um, flapjack last week and it was lovely and now I feel bad that I've been saying home baking is a sign of weakness. <laughs> I don't think that's what that, that wasn't the that wasn't the uh, the plot point, was it? No. <laughs> when you have an issue with someone home making biscuits and offering them, you might want to see a therapist. <laughs> Imagine if I went to see a therapist and I came back like in the next episode, and I'm all lovely and fixed. <laughs> Not if it's the therapist from that awful looking shrinkage. So how many? It's ten because fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> How many fuck you, John? Yeah, I mean, that, 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 I, I was going to ask out of hundreds, so thank you for your accuracy. <laughs> no, it's probably more like eight. <laughs> right, let's go poo hunting. Let's go. <laughs> let, let's go proper heartwarming and beautiful. Let, let, let's talk about the relationship between Christopher Robin and Winnie the Pooh. Oh, oh his little friends in the wood. Not so much in the new film, Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey. I think we may have talked about this a little bit in the past, about how this film's come about, but basically it's now X number of years since the publication of the first Winnie the Pooh book, which means that Winnie the Pooh is now copyright-free and fair game for anybody who wants to make a Winnie the Pooh movie, as long as they don't infringe on anything that Disney added. And what this is, is kind of a sequel of sorts, I would say, to the original Winnie the Pooh book, because at the end of the first Winnie the Pooh, little Christopher Robin and all his Pooh friends in, in Hundred Acre Woods having a lovely time. Unfortunately, all children grow up and Christopher Robin went to college and had to leave his little Pooh bear friends behind in Hundred Acre Woods, but he promised he would come back after university. The problem is that Winnie the Pooh and Piglet and Eeyore and Owl become dependent on Christopher Robin's friendship and the food he brought to them. And when Christopher Robin left, Winnie and his friends became increasingly feral, couldn't fend for themselves, began to starve to death and did the only thing they could do, kill and eat Eeyore. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, that's just typical. <laughs> <laughs> 
They are so appalled at what they've done, they embrace their animalness and they decide they're never going to speak again. Flash forward five years when a now adult Christopher Robin comes back to Hundred Acre Woods with his fiancée to introduce them to his childhood friends. They come across Pooh and Piglet and a very, very angry Pooh decides the best thing to do... Because <coughs> you never want an angry Pooh. <laughs> I think it was this morning. It's really painful. Decides to uh, kill Christopher Robin's wife in a very graphic manner and then kidnap Christopher Robin, hide him in Pooh's hideout on a chain naked and repeatedly punish him. God. This is the first five minutes of the film. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> now, actually, at this point, you kind of go, okay, it's all right. It's an interesting concept. Um, really? Yeah. Well, it was a little Toy Story-esque until the uh, whole... You well, know. The first 30 seconds. <laughs> I mean, they are making Toy Story 5, and I assume yeah. it's going to be a similar plot point. And then, for some reason, a large group of women appear who are all on a girls' weekend, which seems to involve them wander around in their bikinis whilst Pooh and Piglet randomly murder them. And Christopher Robin tries to save them. And it's incoherent. <laughs> all of the characters are incredibly interchangeable, apart from Pooh and Piglet and Christopher Robin. There's like five or six women, and you could not tell which was which. They're not giving them any plot points or character points. They come to this supposedly an abandoned house in the middle of 100 Acre Woods, but it has a jacuzzi and a swimming pool. Yeah, I did hear it was quite voyeuristic. Incredibly voyeuristic. Winnie the Pooh himself is a guy in a check shirt with an immobile plastic Winnie the Pooh mask on <gasps> and what appeared to be yellow kitchen gloves, washing up gloves. <laughs> Marigolds. Yeah. Piglet is just a man in a balls mask, I think. And I think the reason that they reject the humanity and say they're not going to speak anymore and become feral is because the masks can't move. Oh, wow. and, and minute, So, right, in the original story, yeah. uh, Winnie the Pooh is a bear. Yeah. Piglet is a pig. Yeah. So why is it men in masks? I don't understand. Are they, are they supposed to be a bear and a pig? Yes. But they've just got a bloke. They're, they're supposed to be anthropomorphic bears and pigs. It's cheaper. It's cheaper. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. the reason. Do the masks come off at any point? No. All right, okay. Definitely budgetary. I think the the cost $120 million to make. $120 million? No, that's a lie. Oh, it costs it cost, it cost, it cost $100,000 to make, and it's made $4.2 million. In the first weekend or something. <laughs> is there oh. a sequel probably now? There is going to be a sequel. The sequel is coming out next year because uh, Tigger isn't in the public domain until next year. So it's making a sequel with Tigger. Okay. Uh, he's also planning a, a Peter Pan film. And I believe a Snow White or something film. And Bambi is entering the public domain, yeah. domain soon. So Bambi and Peter Pan, and he's creating a cinematic universe, and at some point there will be crossovers. Mm. Excellent. So all this trashing childhood sounds like the sort of thing you'd want to get involved so, in. Yeah, I mean, it, I, I'm, I'm all for the idea of subverting something. like You know, there's something clever you could do with taking a childhood film and subverting it and making it into a horror film or something. That's an interesting idea and there's good things you could do with that. And the first five minutes, you're actually, you know, like, the ridiculous idea of them having to, um, you know, eat Eeyore and that driving them insane is a ridiculous, not a fun idea, but like a, a crazy idea. Mm -hmm. And you go, are they going to do some fun stuff with this? Is it going to be like pretty gonzo and crazy and just becomes, after that first 10 minutes, a tedious generic slasher movie with a guy wearing a plastic mask that looks a bit like Winnie the Pooh. It sounds really retrograde as well. They, they, they thankfully tend not to make so many clearly exploitative slasher films these days. I mean, if you want to see Christopher Robin naked and covered in the blood of his dead fiance, Ooh. whilst Winnie the Pooh repeatedly beats him mm. with the tale of Eeyore. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is the film for you. If you're a horror movie fan, there's some good kills, for want of a better word. You know, it's very gory in places. The thing was, they shot in 10 days for $100,000. But I hear that's not quite the full story that after the trailer came out and it became, I think the trailer became like a viral hmm. word of mouth thing. I think somebody gave them some more money and they went back and did a few more days filming to kind of make it at least semi-professional. Probably doubled their budget. <laughs> uh, and the other thing is, it just it just ends... Like, it's, it's 84 minutes with credits, and it's like they got to 80 minutes. We're like, oh, that'll do. 
we're technically feature it. length. We'll just finish it here. Would you recommend Dan watch this film? I think Dan would love it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Also, they go on the way to the Hundred Acre Woods, which is obviously in England. They stop off at a gas station and there's a crazy old American guy in the gas station warning them not to go into the woods. <laughs> if you go into the woods tonight. Mm-hmm. This, uh, from the sounds of it, has absolutely nothing going for it other than Winnie the Pooh. But it's a slasher film and we need to stop going to see things like this and, and mm. also Adam Driver fighting dinosaurs. But there's a culture of making really terrible films that become super cult hits. and you can, like The Room. You make a, yeah, you make, a, you make a career of doing something deliberately shite. He's not deliberately gone to make something shit. He's just Tried, not very good. It's just, just didn't have the money to make anything good. He didn't have the money, honey. Or talent. <laughs> or story, by the sounds of it. Sounds terrible. I'm going to watch it. Yeah, I, would, I think you'd enjoy it. I will. <laughs> I love crap. So, how many poos out of ten? <laughs> how many shots? Uh, oh, nine. This podcast has had many levels. <laughs> Three out of ten for the first ten minutes, but then it just all massively falls. The rest is yeah. Goes from poo to shite. Does it average out at like one and a half? The first ten minutes would be a six out of ten. Right. And the remaining. 70 minutes would be a 0 out of 10, so it gets a 3 out of 10. That better or worse than Ted Lasso? Did you find it more entertaining than Ted Lasso? Yes. Winnie the Pooh didn't make biscuits for everybody. <laughs> right, so if everybody left us alone in the woods, mm. which of us do you reckon we'd, would get eaten first? Probably me. Why? Because I'm so annoying. <laughs> <laughs> Just let us eat him, get him out of here, shut him up. And, and then I reckon it'd be John, because oh, Andy's your husband, so that's that's fair enough. And then Peter's useful. Peter. <laughs> He's got many skills. Peter's, so quite, next. Peter's quite skinny, though, isn't he? I don't, there's yeah, not, yeah. There's not much meat. There's not, 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 not much meat on Peter. Yeah, so. He's strawberry flavoured, though. And can you, you can imagine just like finishing off Ian and then. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I can't imagine that. The, the rescue services turn up and we realise what we've done and they were like, well. He only called us half an hour ago. <laughs> <laughs> you and Jesmond Dean, you could have just walked to the... <laughs> There's a cafe over there. <laughs> <laughs> Shut up, it's tasty. Well, what a weird podcast. <sighs> Anything usable there, Peter? <laughs> oh, God. That is all for this episode of Nerdfest. Thank you very much for listening. I'm not sure why. <laughs> we'll be back in a few weeks' time. Until then, you can follow our antics and thoughts on the week's nerdy news on social media. We're at Nerdfest UK. If you like the episode and would like to support us, you can leave us a review. If you haven't decided about whether you can be bothered to do that yet, here is John to put a lovely bow on things. If you uh, leave a nice review, there'll be a knock on the door. And when you open it, there'll be a tray of my home-baked biscuits for you. (laughs) What's in those biscuits, John? (laughs) Blood and honey. (laughs) Until next time, you've been listening to... A man holding on for 70 years for Ted Lasso to come out of copyright so he can make a (laughs) low-budget horror movie. (laughs) Based upon his demise. I hate you. I hate you so much. (laughs) A man who thinks that the Iranian Ministry of Culture and Islamic Guidance should lighten the fuck up. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> Who's that knocking on your door? <laughs> a man who was fairly sure things weren't like that, the video game studio I ran. <laughs> <laughs> a piglet. Bonbon. Oh, bonbon. And a woman who's here, she's there, she's every fucking where. Sorry, John. <laughs> <laughs> See you next time. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Get out of my house. <laughs> 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 <laughs>